All right. Good morning, Faith Church. How's it going, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have all of our Faith Church family here in Florence. Thanks so much for being here. Let's give it up and welcome everybody in Lawrenceburg, everybody in our Shoals campus. Good to have you guys. Hey, last week we had about 4,500 people on campus. Lots of people, man, gave their lives to Jesus. It was a great day. If you happen to be here last week and you came back, we're so glad you came. No matter who you are, where you're from, we say, come on, that, that Jesus, he's still risen. It wasn't just last week. It's every day, every situation. We serve a risen Savior, and we get to walk in the power and love of who he is and what he's done for us. Come on, somebody. It's not an Easter holiday. It's a lifestyle. But we say this every week, come on, that Jesus sees the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, come on, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe if you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many people know that's true? Come on, let's show some love today. Well, listen, we are in week four of a series we started a few weeks ago. Let me just start by asking this question. Think about this. Why are people willing to pay outrageous prices for ordinary things? Now, let me qualify that real quick. For example, the average price of a bottle of water is $1.50. And now I get it. Some of you are like, Pastor, how cheap are you? But think about this. While we'll pay $1.50 for a bottle of water, uh, some research I did just real quick. You can Google this yourself. Basically, to fill up the same bottle of water in your house costs about a thousandth, a thousandth of a cent. Now, I get it. It's convenience. I get it. It's easy. But some of you are old as me. Some of you are older than me. I remember when bottled water came on the scene, you're like, wait a minute. So they're selling a bottle of water for like $1.50? I'm just telling you, that was out. Now, I know it's common. But again, just think about it. People pay $1.50 for something that costs a fraction of a penny. I know it's for convenience. But again, on one hand, when you just make the comparison of really what it's worth, of what people pay, it's really outrageous, isn't it? Let me just give you another one. I, I love Starbucks. I love good coffee. I love Rivertown. I love the place. There's no place like home. Come on, Dorothy said it first. No place like Faith Church Cafe. Come on, let's give it up for their team. I'm telling you, man, they slave every week. Our volunteers are there to make sure that you are caffeinated and ready to worship Jesus. But I'm just going to tell you guys, I know some of you guys know this, right? You go in and, you're, you know, coffee's kind of expensive when you go to a place like that. The average price of coffee in a place like Starbucks is $3.50. Doesn't maybe sound like a lot, but when you realize you can make the exact same cup of coffee at your house for 27 cents, I mean, again, so why, why are people willing to pay? Let me just give you one more. And again, this, this has just become the culture we live in. But did you know the average price of the average app, new Apple phone is, iPhone is $1,437. $1,500, have you lost your mind? Now, we don't say that out loud, but that's what we're thinking when they ring us out. Now, again, I get it. It's for convenience. We, you know, I, I love my iPhone, use it all the time. I drink bottled water. I, I go to cafes. But again, it's just when you compare really what it offers for what we pay, it just feels like a lot. But at the end of the day, here's where you're taking, if you're taking notes, I want you to hear this. This is where we're going to go through this whole message today is that people will only pay what they believe is a reasonable price. So whatever the price is for whatever you're purchasing, like you'll only pay what you believe is a reasonable price. It doesn't matter what price is on the bottle. It doesn't matter what price is on the cell phone. At the end of the day, you're going to determine individually, is that a reasonable price? Everybody say that, reasonable price. And if it's reasonable and if it's worth it to you, you'll make the trade your money for that product. Now, with that in mind, we've been in this conversation now for, again, today is week four, just talking about this idea of the trades that we make in life. And really, we are in this series, we're entitled The Exchange. 
The exchange is talking about that life is full of trades and exchanges, that each and every day in life, you trade a slice of your time, you trade some of your money, you trade some of your effort for something else that you believe is of value and of worth to you. But that's true, not just in everyday life, but it's very true, this idea of the exchange in our spiritual journey. That what we find out is that Jesus, God's son came and he didn't trade directly, he traded down, he traded who he was and what he had so we could trade up. And we, when we talked about trading lies for truth, that you can, once you figure out really who you are and you figure out really who God is, it'll change the way you live, it'll change the way you operate. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So there's something about letting go of, uh, letting go of lies and things that we've believed to really buy into the truth of who God is and who we are. And then we talked about this idea of letting go of doubt, trading, exchanging doubt for faith, that we all have questions, we all wonder, we all have blanks and we're not sure how to fill in, but at the end of the day, we can walk with a confident faith. And last week, incredible day, Easter Sunday was awesome, had so many faces in the house, it was just an incredible day to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus. Last week, we talked about really what Easter is about, is this idea that you can exchange guilt for grace. That you've messed up, you've fallen short, I've missed the mark, all of us have sinned, and you can take the guilt that's on your shoulders and you can trade it for the grace that Jesus offers. How many people know that's some incredible news? So today I want to talk about this, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about the exchange of death for life. Now, I get it if you're new to church, newer to church, or you've not been in a church a while, that might sound kind of weird, Right? Trading lies for truth, that just seems like that makes sense. To trade guilt for grace, everybody knows what guilt is. To trade doubt for faith, but what does it mean to trade death for life? Like, what is that? Well, I just want you to know that it is really a theme that runs throughout the Bible. This idea of life and death. It's a theme in the Old Testament. It's a theme in the New Testament. And because it is what it is, it's important we have this conversation. And my hope is today, my prayer is today, that whoever you are, whatever you're watching, that there's going to be something radical that happens in your life that you made the greatest exchange you could ever make and you trade and you exchange your death for his life. Let's talk about what that means. So you go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. There's paradise, right? Most of us, we know this story. God has everything in place. God's created everything good. He's created Adam and Eve to be in a perfect relationship with God, their creator. And the only way free will can operate is if there really is choice. And so God put this tree. He said, you can eat of any tree. It's all yours. But the only tree you can't touch is this tree in the middle of the garden. And it was a way of giving Adam and Eve choice. And so they, they did opposite of what God said. And they eat of this tree. But here was the warning. Watch this, Genesis 2, 17. Here's what God said. Everybody here read this with me. He said, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to... He says, listen, you can eat of any tree, but don't eat of that tree. But if you eat of that tree that I said is off limits, that is out of bounds, as soon as you eat it, you're going to surely, what? Die. Now they eat the fruit. And if you read the story, they didn't die immediately. At least it didn't look like it. They did eventually die physically. But here's the idea. What we find out as you read the narrative and the story of Scripture is that they did die because immediately God removed Adam and Eve from his presence. And I don't know. Let me just make this comparison. If you take a light and it's turned on and you just unplug it from the wall, as soon as you unplug the light source from the, the light from the energy source, the light goes out. And as soon as you disconnect people from the only source of light, the only source of life, the only source of joy, you immediately die. And because of sin, they were removed from God's presence and they were disconnected from the source of life 
and death came. So they traded life for death. So you see this start right at the beginning. Adam, he's not the only one. Where, where are all my sinners at? Anybody here messed up, missed the mark, sin, any of us? So because the Bible says in Romans 6 that all of sin, all of us, right? All of us experience that disconnection. All of us experience a spiritual death. I, I know you got to, I know you got to pulse, but without Jesus, you're spiritually dead. And that's why Jesus said this in John 10, 10, Jesus said, because everybody, every human, every person has experienced spiritual death. He said, I've come, come on, read it, that they may have life. Jesus said, I've come to restore what you've lost. You're spiritually dead. I've come to make you spiritually alive. This is what it means to be born again. Jesus came to take the center of who you are, the essence of your humanity, the key to your creation, the center of your humanity. He came to make that alive again by reconnecting you and I to our creator. So the apostle Paul, looking at because we're spiritually dead and looking at what Jesus done, he said this in Colossians, watch this. He said, you were dead because of your sins. He's talking to people that have come into a relationship with Jesus. He said, you were dead because of your sins, just like Adam and Eve. But then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of your sins. Anybody thankful here that we serve a God who forgives all of our sins? So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea, right? This is the theme of scripture is Jesus died our death so we could live his life. Jesus died our death so we could live his life. Jesus on the cross of Calvary was separated from a God you were separated from so you could be connected to the creator he was connected with. Jesus took your sin and your shame so you could take his righteousness and his connection. Come on, that's what Jesus did is he took your death and separation and gave us his life and connection. Come on, somebody. That's what this gospel's about. That's what we celebrate on Sunday. That's what we sing about is there is this great exchange. When we get to exchange our death for his life. And the question is today that I want to go through and talk about is, is how do you make that exchange? What does that exchange look like? How do we trade? How do we exchange our spiritual death, our disconnection for the life that Jesus came to give us? And I want to look in Matthew chapter 13. We're actually going to look at a lot of scripture today, more than normal, but it'll help us get where we want to go. In Matthew chapter 13, there is two parables, the, the two shortest parables, they're back to back. And as we read them, what you're going to find is these two individual parables sound very similar. They're, the details are uh, almost identical, but they're different for a purpose. And as we read this story, again, what I want you to hear is how, how do we make this exchange of death for life. He says this, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Everybody here, read it with me. Lawrenceburg shows every voice. Come on, let's read together. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, come on, read it, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So we just had this conversation last week, and I've mentioned this anytime I read one of the parables, which Jesus, he taught by parable where he would use a, a familiar illustration, a familiar story to teach a spiritual principle. Jesus taught well over 40 different parables. And when you read a parable, I said this last week, anytime you read a parable, which we just read two of them, you have to know you are in the parable. 
Jesus was telling a story so you would know you're in God's story. You have to know you are in the story, you are in the parable, and you have to know who you are in the parable. So if you read the parable and you think you're in the wrong place, you'll miss the point that Jesus is trying to make. So Jesus tells this story. Now, here's what's so cool. Are you all ready? This is good. This, this is preacher information 101 right here. What's so amazing about these two parables and Jesus out of the over 46-ish parables that Jesus taught, Jesus only does this thing three times. He does it both with these two parables and he does it in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which here's the thing he does. Again, you have to know who you are in the parable for the parable to make sense and for the parable to give you the life principle you need to learn. What Jesus does three times is he gives you a parable that changes based on where you are in your spiritual journey, which means you can be more than one person in this parable. Amen. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's go over the parable of the Good Samaritan first, and we'll come back to this one. It, it, most of you know it. The parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus is trying to teach us what it means to love people. Like, that's our goal. Your goal isn't to come to church. Your goal is to love God and love people. That's good. Go ahead, Pastor. Which means if you come to church and you don't love people and you don't love God, you're wasting your time. You read your, you read your Bible, but you hate people, you're wasting your time. You pray, but you don't love God, you're wasting your time. We are called, the, the foundation of who we are is to love God and love people. And so Jesus is teaching like, hey, what does it mean to love people? Does that mean I got to love Democrats? Because I don't know about them Democrats. Do I have to love Republicans? Because, man, they're kind of crazy. They're trying to take everybody's rights. They got guns. It's all crazy. Do I have to, those people don't look like me. They don't sound like me. They don't, their skin color is different. I don't like those. They have less, more money. Like we, they, they make different different choices with their life than I make. I don't really want to love those people. I just want to love these people. And Jesus qualifies who these people should be. And it's all people. Amen. It's all people. And he tells this story, right? Here's the story. So the story is this guy is on his way. Just, there's just a guy and he's on a road and on the, on the road, he gets jumped. Anybody remember the, the this depends on what generation you're from, jumped, beat up, beat down, like he got tore up, got his booty kicked. I mean, just whatever, whatever generation or part of the country you're from, he got toe up from the flow up. That's what happened. He's laying on the ground. He's, he's bleeding. Mike Tyson got a hold of him. It's bad. And Jesus tells a story that religious people walk right over him. But then Jesus says, but then there's this guy, a Samaritan. And I want to pick up, here's, here's the background. So there's a guy beating, uh, beaten, bloodied, laid on the side of the road. And here's what Jesus says. Watch this. Everybody watch this. He says this. He says, then a despised Samaritan came along and he saw the man and he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. So again, you got to ask yourself, come on, come on, faith church, who are you in the story? Well, it depends on where you are in your spiritual journey, because what you need to know is before you come to Jesus, you and I are the person on the side of the road who is beaten and broken and battered by the sin of this world, the trouble, the heartache, the hurt, the hatred that we live in. We can't pick ourselves up and religion has passed us by, but Jesus is the good Samaritan and he comes and he gives us all that he has to pick us up and carry us and heal us and make us whole. Come on, somebody. That's the God we serve. Jesus in the story. 
story. We are the broken and battered person, and Jesus is the Samaritan. That's who you are before you get saved. After you get saved, now you are the good Samaritan, and the world is the broken people. Now we've been given grace because we've been given grace. Now we are ambassadors of grace. Now we've experienced the light of the world. Now we are the light of the world. Because God has come and healed us, we come and help and fi- help a broken, battered, and bruised world find the same life and love that we have found in Jesus. Come on. Now, because we have received it, now we have to give it. Come on. Do y'all see that? So, so who are you in the story? I just want you to know today, if you're here today and you've never encountered Jesus, I know without a shadow of a doubt, without hearing your story, and I've heard lots of stories that on some level, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you are beaten, broken, battered, and bruised. And there's a God who loved you enough, even though people have stepped over you and religion couldn't help you and self-help books couldn't change you. Jesus, God's son, the savior of the world came to kneel down where you are, to heal you and to pick you up and to bring you to restoration. You and I were the person broken and battered, but when we come to Jesus, now we are the good Samaritan and now we do it for the world. So do you all see the principle? So this is the only time Jesus does it where depending on where you are in your spiritual journey before you come to Jesus or after you come to Jesus, the parable flips. Now let's go back to the parable of the buried treasure. Buried treasure, that's such a great, such a great idea. Anybody watching Oak Island? I just gotta ask, it has nothing to do with the message. I'm still on it. I'm like nine seasons in every, every week they find another nail. My wife's like, she goes to bed like, you are wasting your time. I'm like, this is the week, babe. If you don't know what Oak Island is, Google it. Just, they're gonna find the treasure, I, I promise. There's treasure on Oak Island. So Jesus tells the parable, right? Watch this, watch, watch. Here's a parable, here's a guy, he goes out, he stumbles across treasure in a field. He goes and he sells everything he has and he buys the field so he can get to the treasure. There's a guy, there's a merchant and he goes and he finds this pearl of great price and he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys the pearl. The question is, are you ready? Y'all aren't ready, y'all don't look ready. I got lots of folded arms, which I don't know if you know this, but when you read body language, this means I'm closed off. I need everybody to just do this, Just, just do it. Just for a minute. You can cross them again. Thank you. I just saw that. Thank you. Thank you, Lawrenceburg. Thank you, Shoals. Who are you in the story? If you're taking notes, this is so good. If you, if you, if you make noise in church, this is your cue. If you shout in church, this is you. Just jump right in. If you're an ameter, go. If you want to do a Jericho march, this is your time right here. You ready? In the story of the buried treasure, Jesus is the man. And you and I, we're the treasure. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, we were buried in a world up to our neck. We couldn't find ourselves. We couldn't fix ourselves. Just like the man who was beaten, broken, and battered, and bruised on the side of the road. And Jesus came, and he found us. And what did he do? He gave everything he had. He laid down his life for you and I. Come on, he, come on, he gave everything he had to make us his. Did you know? Come on, I, you got to know this today. You're a treasure. You're somebody. I know the world told you you're nobody. I know you you might have grown up with some people that said you're unimportant. You might feel like you're not valuable based on your occupation or your career path or what you're doing in life or how much money you have in the bank, but I'm telling you, you have eternal value. Do you know why? Because people are only willing to pay what they think is a reasonable price. And when Jesus looked at you, he said, it's reasonable that I'll lay down everything I have to make you because you're a jewel to me. You're a treasure to me. You're a pearl of great price to me. Come on, somebody. That's some great news. 
There was a story I came across. Maybe you read this. It, it keeps coming up every now and then every year. The story makes a little bit of room to move forward in the narrative. But all the way back in 2013, there was a guy when cryptocurrency had just kind of started getting onto the scene. And this guy had mined, had come across, had purchased some cryptocurrency. And he kept his access key, his crypto access key, on a hard drive in his office. And one day his wife tells him, listen, your office is a mess. You need to clean your office just like your wife does. Clean your room. I thought I got married to not hear that anymore. So he goes in and he's throwing away paper and he's got two hard drives. He knows one has files he needs. This other one he doesn't think is important. So he throws this hard drive away. And then in the middle of the night, he thinks, oh, I shouldn't throw, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't throw a hard drive away without making sure it's a race. He thinks, oh man, I need to, I need to throw that. I need to make sure I get up and, and get that back out and make sure I erase it. Well, he wakes up in the morning, trash has already come, hard drive's gone. And it's not until about a year later that he realizes his crypto key was on the hard drive. And now he can no longer access. I don't know if you know how crypto works. But basically, like you can't call the bank and retrieve your password. His crypto key is now gone and there's nothing he can do to get it back. All he knows is they took his trash from his house and they took it to the city landfill. All he knows is the only way he can access his crypto account is to find his hard drive somewhere in millions of tons of trash. Just FYI, to really make this story interesting, his crypto is currently worth about $500 million dollars. And he has access to zero of it. He has gone and dug in the field. He's he is actually together. He's tried to sell everything he's had. He's tried to get buyers to come in with him. To, he's actually gone to the city and said, what will it take to buy the trash heap? I don't know if y'all track with me. No, nobody wants to buy million, millions of tons of trash unless there's a treasure in there. And, 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 and Jesus he looked at this world full of trash and garbage and hatred and bitterness and anger and, and racism and frustration and covetousness and murder and come on. And God looked at it and he said, but, but there's some treasure in there. There's, there's, and I'm willing to give everything I have to get the treasure. Jesus paid the price with his life because you are worth his life. Come on, somebody. You got to know that. Now, here, here's the challenge, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of this. As a pastor, I'm guilty of this. As, as, as people, many of you in this room who are, who are Jesus followers, you're guilty of this. There is this small thing on the inside of us where we just want to, I don't know what it is, we just keep wanting to go back to religion, and we keep somehow thinking how we need to, how we need to pay the price to God. What do we owe God to get him to love us? And it's so subtle. It's so subtle. We keep feeling like either we need to do more or we didn't do enough. If I just, if I just did a little, God will love, surely God will love you more if you did a little more. Like if you're only coming to church once a month, wouldn't God love you more if you were here every week? If you only put a five in the plate, if, if you were really a tither like God's word commands, wouldn't God love you more? If you did more good things for people who are hurting, wouldn't God love you? Like there is this thing, listen, on the inside of all of us that we feel like if I do more, God will love me more. And what you need to know is there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you've ever done to get God to love you more than he's always loved you. No matter who you are and where you're at, what stage of life, God loves you all the way, all the time. If you never do another thing, God loves you all the way. And if you do your very best every day to love everybody, be 
generous and change the world, God will not love you more. I didn't love my kids based on the grade card they brought home. I might have celebrated them in a different way, but I loved them all the same. And your heavenly father loves you in spite of you. You were buried in a field. It's him who came and paid the price to get you. You didn't pay the price to get to him. That's what religion does. Jesus came for us. And so my job, so here's the challenge. So, so my job is sometimes I feel like it's my job to get you to do stuff. It's, it's subtle. It's even in my mind. I got to get beyond this. This is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Religion is what do you do? Christianity is what has Jesus done? Religion is you need to do more. Jesus and Christianity is there's nothing more to do. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus said these three words, it is finished. There's nothing else to do. And so my job is not to convince you to love God. My job is to convince you that God loves you. And you might say, I don't care that God loves me. Good news, he still loves you. I don't even believe in God. He still loves you. Pastor, if you knew what I went through, you don't even understand. I hate God. He still loves you. No matter who you are, the good news of the gospel is you were buried in a field and Jesus gave his life to buy the field to get the treasure and you're the treasure. And you may not be ready to reciprocate. You may not be in the place where you're answering that question. You may not be pursuing God in a relationship yet, but no matter who you are and where you're at, what you need to know is the price has already been paid. He sees you as a treasure and there's nothing you can do to buy him. He's already bought you. And that's some good news. Come on, is anybody thankful for that? So on the flip side, so on the flip side, so on the first side, right, it's, it's Jesus is the man and you're the treasure. But now again, you can read it. There's only a couple parables. Now you get to change positions and there's a different way you can read this parable. Again, in the first position, Jesus is the man who purchased you the treasure. On the second place, is, and this is where I want to hang out for a few minutes, and the second way you can read this is you're the man and Jesus is the treasure. Now think about what he says. He says, there's a man who goes out and he, he basically stumbles upon this treasure. We don't know if he's plowing a field on behalf of somebody else and he stumbles on this treasure. And he goes and he sells all that he has so he can buy the field so he can get to the treasure. And I don't know if you can see it. It's pretty clear, isn't it? That, that we're the people and we, once you find a relationship with Jesus, the call is for us to lay down everything we have so we can have access to that treasure then the other person was the, was the diver who went down and found the pearl of great price. The difference is one stumbled upon the treasure. The other one, the person went looking for treasure. And I don't know if that makes sense. Some of you are in this room like me, and I, I didn't go to church because I wasn't missing anything. Whoever said that sin leaves you empty is a liar. I was satisfied. I was filled up. I was enjoying life, living life on my own terms. I didn't have a God-shaped vacuum in my heart, but I did find out through the gospel that I was broken and I did need Jesus, but I didn't go to church. The, 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 <laughs> come on. The pearl of great price wasn't Jesus when I found it. It was Shauna. It was my bride. Some of you know our story. We were dating. I was going to church for that treasure. Come on, somebody. And then I found out there's a real treasure. So I wasn't looking. I was like the man in the first pair where I was just plowing a field and stumbled upon some treasure. But some of you in this room and some of you in Lawrenceburg and some of you in Shoals, 
You were in a tough place in life and you went looking for an answer. You went through heartache, you went through loss and you were trying to find out, is there something that will fill the hole that I'm currently experiencing? And because you went looking, you found out there was a God who loved you, who did send his son and you've experienced the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God through his son, Jesus. Some of us stumbled upon it and some of us went looking for it, but all of us in this room, how many of you are thankful that we found the great treasure in Jesus? So watch, watch, watch. I hope y'all are tracking with me. So watch. Here's what's crazy about this story. I don't know if you picked this up, but all the way through scripture, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, we, we hear over and over again that salvation is free. Salvation is free. Salvation is free. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And that's true. But then Jesus comes along in this parable. And when you read it from the narrative that you're the person that finds the treasure, what do you do? You sell everything so you can go in by the field. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you told me that salvation was free. Now you're telling me I have to purchase it. Which is it? Is salvation free or do I have to purchase it? I'm glad you asked. If you're taking notes, here's the most important thing I'm going to say today is salvation can't be bought, but will cost you everything to own. Let me say that again. Salvation cannot be bought, but it will cost you everything to own it. You can't purchase it with good deeds. You can't purchase it with righteous acts. You can't purchase salvation with church attendance. You can't purchase it with good deeds. You can't purchase it with money in the offering plate. You can't purchase it by being a good neighbor. You can't purchase it with racial, racial justice. You can't purchase it by politics. There's nothing you can do to purchase the salvation that Jesus came to freely give. However, if you want to access that, it's going to cost you everything to get it. And that's what Jesus clearly taught throughout his life is salvation is free and will cost you nothing. But following Jesus, Jesus will cost you everything. Listen to what Jesus said. Watch this. In, Ma in Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew chapter 16, he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And it's funny because the conversations that Jesus has, I don't, I don't know if some of you guys are, are tracking with the gospels. If you don't read your Bible, I would just so encourage you. Read God's word. Let it get into your heart. It'll change your life. If you don't know where to start, start with any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's the biograph biographical sketch of the life of Jesus, who he was, what he taught, what he accomplished. But as you follow the life of Jesus, what you find is, is that the crowds that follow Jesus, they would get really big and then they would get small. And man, Jesus would build this momentum. And man, just, there were just crowds following Jesus, swelling crowds. At one point, we know at least 20,000 people was following Jesus. 20,000. You don't understand. We're talking about 2,000 years ago. The entire population of the world was a percent of what it is today. And Jesus at one point had 20,000 people following. But then he would say something hard. See, we want to follow Jesus when, we when he tells us that he loves us and we're his treasure. We want to follow Jesus when we hear that he's paid it all. But when Jesus says, no, I need you to lay down your life, some of us tap out. When we find it, it's going to cost us something to follow this Jesus. Nah, man, I, I didn't sign up for any of that. This is the conversation we're having today is, how do you trade death for life? Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you keep hanging on to your death, it's going to kill you. But if you'll lay down your death and pick up your, my life, you'll live forever. And you just get to choose. So you can hold on to what you have, or you can hold on to what he offers, but you cannot have both. Letting go, letting go, letting go of what you have makes room for what matters most. 
you only got so much room in the cupboard. Come on, where, where's, where's, where's my ladies at who love some shoes? Come on. At, at some point, y'all know what happens. At some point, you got to look and say, I can't keep them all. I got to make room for the new. And you got to cut loose some. Come on, where, where are my people at? Don't hate me, girls. Come on. Like, you just got to let go of some to make room for more. This is what Jesus is saying. You, you can't keep living your lifestyle and live the lifestyle I have for you. You can't. See, I know we live in a world that people want a Jesus that'll co-sign anybody you want to sleep with. Jesus says you can't sleep with who you want, when you want, how you want, and be somebody who honors relationship the way I created you. I know you want it that way, but you can't have it that way. I know you want to live by whatever ethics thinks you'll get a bigger paycheck and help you close the contract, but I need my followers to be people of, 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 of ethics and integrity and character. Like, so you can either sometimes make money or you can have me, but sometimes you got to choose. You can't have both. But we want our life and we want his life. And you just can't have both. And so what's the price to have the life of Jesus? It's free, but it's going to cost you everything to have it. Which means you might, if you're going to really follow Jesus, if you're going to let go of your death, you got to let go of some stuff that's really holding you back that you think is helping you. And maybe it's hobbies and maybe it's habits. And maybe it's relationships and maybe it's money. But at the end of the day, if you don't let it go, you cannot have the life of Jesus. And it's not because he doesn't want you to have it. It's because you're refusing to pay the price that it'll cost. And I said it in the beginning. And you get to choose. People will only pay what they believe is a reasonable price. So if you're looking at what Jesus offers... And you're looking at what you have and you're like, I'm not, I'm not trading that. Well, go ahead and keep what you have. But if you're a reasonable person that looks at all that Jesus came to offer, life and joy and peace and righteousness, eternal life, hope, strength, a connection with your creator, the presence of the Holy Spirit, a family to be a part of, a mission to accomplish, a world to change, surely I'll give all that I have if I can have that. Last verse. Mark chapter 10. Jesus says it one more time because this conversation is repeating. There's a man who runs up to Jesus. I love it. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. I, I don't know who he is. A rich young ruler. It's this cat that runs up in a Wall Street heart shaft or a Mark suit. Just got a fresh shine. He looks good. A lot of starch in his shirt. You can tell he's somebody. He's got a Rolex Submariner on, two-tone, blue face. In my mind, he's a successful rapper. He's got gold chains on. He's got platinum albums. He's somebody. He's important. He's got money. You put who you want in the story. All we know is he's, he's rich and he's got influence. And he comes running up to Jesus and he asks this question, what do I need to do to get the life you've been talking about? And Jesus says, simple, all you got to do is keep the commandments. And he says, I've, I've done it. And then he says things like this, it's ridiculous. The rich young ruler actually says this, I've honored my parents from my youth. Listen, you, if you've been a teenager, you have dishonored your parents. 
So he lies right out of the gate. But he, 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 start, he said, I've never stole. I've, I've honored my parents. My youth. He basically says, I've kept, all, I've kept all the commandments. And then Jesus says this. Are you ready? He says, you lack one thing. Here it is right here. Watch this. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, is Jesus opposed to money? No. There's some TikTok garbage going on that says that Jesus said rich people can't get to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus clearly said was it's hard for rich people to get to heaven. Do you know why it's hard for rich people to get to heaven? Because rich people think I don't need to depend on Jesus because most of what I need I can access in my bank account and it tends to make us proud. Success tends, we all want success, but sometimes success, the reason some of you are successful is not because you're not trying hard, it's because God's graced you with not allowing you to be successful because if you get too successful, you'll abandon your creator. So God has put some stops along the way to keep you humble. Separate message. And he says this, he says, he, you lack some, Jesus, I'm not opposed to money, but you got so much trust in your money. You can't really trust me. You think life is found in your bank account. And as long as you think you can make a deposit and withdrawal to get life, you'll never come to me to get the only life you can really ever truly find. So if you really want what I have, you got to get rid of what you have. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. People will only pay what they think is a reasonable price. I think that's a reasonable price. Here's what this man's decision was. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. I've heard a pastor say one time, he didn't leave because he had a lot of possessions. He left because a lot of possessions had him. And so here's what I came to tell you today is the greatest gift you will ever and could ever possess or be given in the history of all humanity was the gift of God's son, Jesus, who laid down his life because you're a treasure. And when nobody was looking for you, he found you. And when he found you, he gave all he had to get you. And he says, if you want me back, you got to give all you have to have me. What you have to choose today is, do you think that's a reasonable price? Because you can hold on to your death or you can have his life, but you can't have both. This morning, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate communion. We get to celebrate the exchange of death for life. And I just want to pray at all of our campuses. Will you just do me a favor before we take communion? We just pray with me, Father, as we step into just a sacred moment of celebrating the truth of death for life, that Jesus, your body was broken and you bled on the cross of Calvary in my place, in our stead for us so we could find forgiveness and we could have salvation. God, I pray, let us celebrate it knowing that sometimes there's some stuff you're calling us to let go of that's holding us back from the true life we can experience. If you're in this room and you've never made the exchange, you've never laid down your life for the life that Jesus came to give you. I want to give you an opportunity to all of our campuses. I want you to know again, God loves you. You have to make the exchange for yourself. Grandma can't make it for you. Your pastor can't make it for you. You have to come and say, Jesus, I give you all that I am. And I put my trust and hope in you to be my savior. Come and forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. And if you'll do that, if you'll pray that prayer, Jesus will change you forever. In a moment, you can become a child of God. 
And so at all of our campuses, if you're here, if you're watching online, you've never given your life to Jesus, this is a great opportunity to make the exchange. If you're here and you want to say, Pastor Steve, I need to give my life to Jesus today. I need to recommit my life to Christ. I have been holding on to my life. And today I need to lay some stuff down and follow him. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand all over this room at all of our campuses. Come on, throw a hand up real high and say, today I need to give my life for Jesus. Come on. No shame in your game. Come on, men. Today you need to give your life to Jesus. I want you to throw a hand up. Ladies, come on, give a hand up. Just say, man, today I surrender my life to Jesus. Hands all over this room. I'm sure in all of our campuses. I'm going to pray. I want you to say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I let go of all that I have to lay a hold of who you are and what you've done for me. I believe that you're the son of God, the savior of the world who died in my place and took my sin so I could have grace. Save me today in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to take communion. The Bible says that at the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. It was a symbol of his body that would, in just a few short hours, be broken for you and I. Can we take the bread together? And all over this room, will you stand at all of our campuses? And I want to just give you just one minute before we take the cup. Maybe you're here and you love the Lord and you're following him, but maybe there's something else that slipped into your life. Maybe there's another priority, another person that somehow got in that today you need to say, hey, that can't stay if I'm going to have everything that Jesus came to bring me and be everything that Jesus came to make me. And so with one more moment, I want you just to take a minute and say, what is it that I need to lay down today to have all that Jesus came to bring me? Because Jesus laid it all down for you as represented in this cup that represents his blood shed for us. Can we drink the cup together?